Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Join me today for a conversation with the author of The Little Book of Living Small, Laura Fenton. Laura joined me back on episode 174 to talk about helpful hints for living small, and today we'll be discussing the downsides of small space living. However, we'll provide solutions to combat the negatives, which may not be so negative after all. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to encourage you, as always, to leave a rating or review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review on iTunes is the best way you can help this podcast succeed and grow. Also, I wanted to thank all of you that have been reaching out as of recently on Minimalist Mom's Instagram account or through email, just asking questions and starting conversations in regards to minimalism. I love it so much, and I really try to personally get back to each and every one of you. Most often, I will probably send you a voice message because that's much easier. But yeah, I just really appreciate having the conversations. That's what this podcast is here for. So thank you. Thank you for doing so. All right, as for my minimalist resource this week, actually, a listener named Maggie reached out just earlier today about a resource that she likes, and it's called consignmentmommies.com. She was talking about how in her area, they have a big spring kids consignment sale, and they'd shared the site so that you can find other consignment sales in your area. So... The website says that they're the leading national consignment sale and store directory and social networking site on the web. So check out consignmentmommies.com. It might be really helpful to you. I especially am really feeling the struggle right now with kids growing so quickly and out of their sizes. I feel like I can't keep up and I feel like consignment is where it's at, especially when they're going through huge growth spurts. So if anyone checks out this website, let me know. And thanks again to Maggie for sharing this today. Now for my conversation with Laura Fenton. Again, she has been on the podcast before. Great conversation. I linked it in the show notes. And this one is equally informative. You'll hear me say it in the episode, but I never want my guests to make, I was going to say make minimalism seem easy or whatever their objective to seem easy because sometimes it isn't. And obviously people that I have on here are typically, I want to say experts in their field or whatever their topic may be. And so they've been doing this for a very long time. So I think with this area and particularly small spaces, it can seem overwhelming when we're in the moment. But if we just shift our perspective and maybe take some of these helpful hints from today, it can make it a heck of a lot easier. But again, I don't ever want to make anything on the show seem as though it's a cakewalk because a lot of us have been practicing this for quite some time and there's trial and error and none of us are perfect. So I just wanted to, (laughs) I wanted to reiterate that here at the beginning, but this is a great conversation with Laura Fenton. So let's get into it. Laura, thanks for joining me again on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to chat. Absolutely. Before we get into our conversation, why don't you go ahead, reintroduce yourself to the listeners who may not have heard our last episode, which I will put our last episode in the show notes for them, but why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself and tell me about the book that you wrote? Sure. So I'm the author of The Little Book of Living Small, um, which is all about how to live in a small space and gives examples of 12 real families who are doing it. And in my profession, I'm a writer. I write about home and all the things that come along with it, like 
organizing, decorating, even cleaning. Um, so that's my area of expertise overall. And I'm also a mom to a six-year-old boy. I live in New York City with my husband and my son in a 690-square-foot apartment. Absolutely. And you were my go-to person to have this conversation, which I haven't introduced our topic. So I'll go ahead and do that. So today we're going to be talking about the downsides of living in small spaces. So I was thinking about new topics for this year and what I wanted to talk about on the show. And I think that sometimes people tend to focus on the negatives. And so for what you and I both do is we kind of, we, we look on the plus side. And so I'm like, how can we structure an episode around? Yes, we can note and take notice of the downsides of smaller spaces, but how can we show in some situations that there is also positives to those things? So that's what you're here to talk about today. We'll probably just have more of an organic conversation here and go through some of the ideas that um, we had chatted about before the episode, but I guess, do you want to share your first, what you thought was a downside? And then again, we'll show listeners how they can be positives. Well, one thing that you and I both agreed was the downside was limited or no outdoor space that often comes along with living in apartments or other types of condos or HOAs. Um, And this is definitely a downside. (laughs) Being able to have like a little piece of nature right outside your back door is a great advantage to living in a larger home. But I find that for me, my building has like a small shared garden, which Mm -hmm. is a wonderful respite from both the city and our apartment. Like if you just want to get outside for a little bit of time. And that for me feels like, you know, like we've got a little bit of something. And I think that Many people living in urban spaces can find that little bit of something. Um, And what comes along with that is that we don't have the maintenance of keeping up a yard, all the landscaping, the lawn mowing, the expenses and the time that come along with that. We're, you know, freed up from doing that type of work. And as a result, we have more time to go on outings out into the world and explore And I think that a result of not having like our own private backyard means that my husband and my son and I have actually sort of been forced to go find other places to enjoy the outside and Mm -hmm. do more of these sort of adventurous, bigger things that maybe we might not be doing if we were living a more typical um, suburban house. Outside of the last couple of years with this once in a lifetime pandemic that we're going through. I would say that that probably hasn't been a horrible thing to not necessarily have a backyard. And I know that that was one thing that I felt really blessed to have during COVID just because we could just put the kids in the backyard when we were running out of things to do. So I'm sure that that was really limiting for people that didn't have that outdoor escape, especially in a big city you're living on top of one another. And that probably, I mean, cause did you all escape to like, you're not in Brooklyn, you're in, uh, you're in Manhattan, correct? Uh, we're in Queens and oh, Queens. Okay. yeah, and we did, you know, escape to stay with family for parts of that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, my son had like the full on <laughs> summer camp experience staying up at mm-hmm. grandma's house last summer, but people, you know, in the city also got very creative. Our community, um, one of our main thoroughfares, um, an avenue has been closed to vehicular traffic during the day and it turn into what they they call an open street where you could go out and run, kids could take their scooters out and play. Um, And so people, 
in a weird way, embraced like being outside even more. Mm -hmm. And for my own family this year, I had recently read about the idea of trying to spend a thousand hours outside, um, which is like such a big goal, but we said we'd love to try and do this. And so it's hard living in the city. You don't have Mm -hmm. that option to just have outside be in the backyard, but we're even that little bit of a goal makes me more motivated to take my son to the playground after school to get that hour of outdoor time. Just to be outside is valuable, whether it's like perfect natural oasis or, you know, a city playground. Absolutely. Yeah. That was us when we were living just North of Ohio state's campus, we did not have a backyard. And when we came home with Benji, we were like, okay, we really need to start figuring out what this is going to look like. Cause it, it was fine. When I had the one daughter, we could just go down the street to the park, but it felt like a little bit more unmanageable as I had multiples, but I think you're right. Like we have to force ourselves to get the thousand hours outside. We have to know that we are capable and we can do it. But I don't want people to think that everything is, is dreamy or easy as some of my guests make it sound. I, I guess sure. I'm, I'm, I am looking on the negative side <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the positive, yeah. bit, but yeah, it, not everything is as easy as it, it may seem. And I guess that's what I wanted to know and, and help people realize in this episode. Yeah. Well, and it is for sure. I mean, I think that it's a trade-off, you know, um, the, especially in some of the urban areas, they're just you know, so expensive, like in the New York City area, in the Bay Area, um, even in like the second cities like Austin and Denver, it's just like you have to decide what is most important to you. And, you know, like we're definitely missing out on that private green space that is so restorative. But, you know, as a result, like neither my husband or I are commuting for hours a day. Um, and we we sort of valued the time together more than like the bigger house and the private backyard that came along with it. Um, but no question, it would be a dream <laughs> to have yeah. like a little garden of our own. I even, I will confess, my apartment, which is quite small, looks out onto like a little piece of our shared garden that almost nobody ever comes into um mm-hmm. and it's very plain it's just like grass back there and i even emailed our real estate attorney and i said do you think i could ask the building if we could buy this piece of the yard <laughs> and he wrote me back and he said it's a lot more complicated than that in order for them to sell it to you they'd have to change you know all the governing bylaws of the building and your legal fees would be more than you know that piece of yeah, yard was worth yeah <laughs> Um, So I've certainly had the fantasy of a yard of my own. Yeah, no, I can definitely relate to that. So that was the one thing I had messaged you. I was like, this was the one thing just trying to pull from experience of what was negative in my mindset. But I mean, the reason we lived in 900 square feet for eight years was because there were so many benefits, which is something that we're going to talk about right now. So I want to go through, you have five that we want to share and we'll kind of talk through. So I'm just going to let you talk about the first one and that is nowhere to host large gatherings. Yeah. I mean, this um, has not, you know, of course, been an issue in the last couple of years, but before the pandemic, my husband and I did like to host people. And, you know, that was something that brought us joy, but was hard to do in a small space. And I think that there are ways you can work around that. 
One that I have found over and over again throughout the years is to go ahead and pack the people in, to invite more people than you actually know to be reasonable for your space. Those parties are a little bit crazy, but fun and jolly. You know, having people into your home brings your home energy and like good vibes and you know, makes you feel all warm and fuzzy to be the host. People get worried, like, oh, my place is small, or we don't have enough room to host. And I don't feel like that's an excuse. I have always, even when I lived in a tiny 225 square foot apartment, been someone who invited people for dinner, had a holiday party, even if it meant everybody was to jowl and the drinks were chilling in the bathtub. So I definitely say, don't let the small space hold you back. But if you truly could not host in your home, it's also like very common in my life in New York City to host someplace else. I hosted my sister's baby shower in a restaurant. Um, my son's sixth birthday took place in a New York City park. And having a party outside of the home can be more expensive. But what I always say is that like that one-time expense is so much less than like what a bigger mortgage would be costing us every month. You know, so yes, it's going to cost some money to have that restaurant party, but it's small when you like look at the larger arc of what you're paying over the course of a year for space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know here in Columbus, we have so many parks that you can go to and just use for free and use the open spaces. And I mean, I think just checking with people or asking people, even in your family that might have larger homes, you could utilize those spaces. And yeah, I don't think this is an end all be all, but I definitely recognize that especially for people that love to host, this would be problematic, but I I think there are options uh, that are available to us. Yeah. And you know, like there's, there's also like that kind of like park party scenario. There's also like fun and whimsy that arrives. We had my son's party in the park and we ordered pizzas to be delivered to the park for, you know, the kid's meal. And we way over ordered. I don't know, like we, our, our calculations were off. And by the end of the party, my husband was like passing out pizzas to people who were playing checkers at the tables on the side of the park. And like, it sort of like turned into the whole park was having the birthday party. So, you know, there's, there's also a different kind of joy in that type of a celebration. Absolutely. All right. This second one, I cannot relate to, (laughs) to wanting to do this. Well, I'll say what it is. So you said no space to host visiting relatives. I've grown up in Columbus. I've always lived here. And so the majority of my family is from here, but there are some people that really love to host relatives. And I can see how this would be problematic, but for someone like me, I'm like, maybe it's okay that we have such a small space for this, but what are some of your tips on how someone can work through this issue? Yeah. Well, not being able to host relatives, just, I think people feel badly and maybe even feel like they can't invite somebody to come see them if they don't, you know, have a place for them to stay. But um, my parents lived in California for a decade. My husband is from Colorado. Far away has been like a theme. And we've come up with a couple of solutions. One, my parents and my husband's parents have like rented an Airbnb nearby and stayed in their own apartment um, that was very close to us. They could spend lots of time with us, but they weren't actually like, you know, sleeping on an air mattress in our living room. And there's a a little advantage to that. Like everybody can have their downtime and their quiet time and not be with each other like 24 hours a day. 
yes, you've got to pay for them to have that place to stay, but like that is one solution where they're not staying in a hotel where they still have, you know, a kitchen and can, you know, relax in the way they would in your own home. But another thing that we, and we've also taken advantage of friends' apartments, you know, like if my parents came at Christmas, usually I, my best friend could be counted on to be visiting her parents at Christmas. So she'd lend her apartment to my folks. But we've also taken the opportunity of someone coming to town to, you know, maybe we have them stay with us for just a night. And then we all together would go somewhere nearby and rent a vacation house for a couple of days together where we could be in the same space and where we could enjoy each other's companies. So that has worked for us. And in some ways, maybe even been better because we've been able to, you know, get to explore some other places with our family that we might not have visited without them coming. Absolutely. And I think that you can definitely get creative because like I said, we only had 900 square feet. And so we would just, uh, we had a couch that it didn't look like a futon, but it was a futon that was able to fold down um, for my husband's family when they came. If you want to give someone your bed and you can sleep on the floor, there's things that aren't necessarily ideal, but you can make it work if you have to. Maybe not everyone's mindset is that way, but I think that if you really want to, and you don't want to have the extra cost, you can figure it out. Yeah. And we have even debated like, maybe we should get a trundle bed for my son's room so that grandma could, you know, come in for a couple nights and just stay in his room with him. Like that would definitely, you know, be something that we have thought about and considered. There's, you know, the pullout couch. Some people might have a Murphy bed in like a alcove that they pull down when guests come. Um, There's a million ways you can pack somebody in if you don't feel like it's going to drive you all crazy to be in the small space together. All right. So your third one is no place to store things like camping gear, skis, and bikes. So what are your thoughts on this? You know, so this is not like a, it's never been an issue for me personally, but when I wrote my book, this came up again and again, and I have, I'm pretty firmly anti outside storage unit. I think that the self-storage industry, just people spend so much money storing things that they don't truly love and use enough to justify the costs of storage. So this this was like something that came up a lot um, when the book came out, people being like, oh, but I, I need to have my storage for fill in the blank, whether it was camping gear, whether it was their golf clubs or skis or snowboard. And I would challenge people to really think about that. I think that there's a big temptation to like go get all the gear when you've got a new hobby or you know passion that you love. And then you need a place to you know store the gear. And a lot of the time it might make more sense just to rent those things on a, a one-off basis. You'd be really surprised, you know, how many things you can rent for a short period of time. Of course, for something like skiing, you know, you can rent skis, boots at that mountain, and that can add up. But unless your family is like skiing every weekend, it still might be more economical in the long run than needing to pay for storage for your gear. Camping gear these days, like if you are an occasional camper, there are companies that you can order up like the tent, the sleeping bags, and all that stuff, and they'll ship it to you mm-hmm. for your trip. And then you send it right back. Um, a lot of campgrounds have rentals. There's a lot of workarounds where it might be like a tough thing <laughs> to pay for in the moment, but the freedom of not having to like store that stuff and pay for storing that stuff 
might be worth the cost of you know short-term rentals. And then for things like bikes, we live in New York City where you can use a bike share, which is amazing, where you know you pick up the bike where you need it and return it when you're done. Or the other solution I had for many years when I was younger is just to have a really crummy beater bicycle that I didn't mind locking up on the street. You know, everyone has their own passions. Everybody has their own thing that is important to them. One of the couples we featured in Living Small used one of their two closets to store their bikes. Like they had decided that the bikes were important and they had cleared out that closet to make room for their beloved hobby. For somebody else, it's going to be something different. I don't know. I, I would definitely lean towards minimalism when it comes to gear. Absolutely. And I know that when I've been in New York City before, I know that's not the majority of my listeners are probably not living in New York City, but for those that do live in big cities and that do have to share apartment buildings, I in the Airbnbs I've stayed in, I've seen bikes in the hallways. Is that normal? Is that allowed? <laughs> building by building. Okay. And you know, and I also don't think this is just a problem for people in cities. Like this is also like there are plenty of places where a single family home might not have a garage. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. where you know then you're you're trying to figure out like is there a way to fit it into the house? You know, like everybody has sort of like the varying degrees of that kind of like excess storage space. Mm -hmm. And for us, what we did with the duplex, when we had our bikes during the summer, when we were using them more often, we would just put them on the front porch and tie a few locks around them. And then in the winter months, they just were in the basement. So it was something that it was hard to access if you weren't using it regularly, but that's why we just would keep them out. But right now we do not have a garage here either. And we just have a shed, which I highly recommend for extra space to keep all of your equipment and this type of thing to where I feel like it's worth the price of what you need to store. Yeah. And I also, you know, people can get creative. Another dad who lives in my building is like, a really passionate bicyclist and he even works for a nonprofit that advocates for transportation alternatives. When, you know, he wanted a place to store his bike, he campaigned the building to convert one of our storage rooms into a, a bike room. And he helped them figure out how to do it and like what kind of bike racks would work. And like, he really made that happen. So it's, you know, sometimes like something that seems impossible with a little creativity and a little perseverance, maybe you can, you can find an out of the box solution. All right. What is number four? It looks like sharing a bathroom. (laughs) Yes. This I mean, this is, I mean, for sure. If you live in a small space that has only one bathroom, this is something that drives people crazy. (laughs) Our good friends um, who live in a two bedroom, decided to sell their apartment and move, not because they needed more space, not because they needed another bath bedroom. It was because they were going crazy with four people sharing one bathroom. And, you know, adding a bathroom to a small apartment or a small home is not so easily done. So in most, anyone who's like in that situation, you really just need to figure out how to make it work. And I, in the book, I talk about lots of tips and tricks for how to maximize your space, about figuring out how to get the largest medicine cabinet in that you can and using shelf risers to maximize those spaces. But some of it is also, you know, lifestyle related in our house, um, growing up shower in the morning. And our sun showers at night so that there's like less of a traffic jam in the bathroom in the morning. 
we've also like come to accept that if I'm taking a shower, that means that like my husband or my son might be coming in to grab their toothbrush or, you know, get the hairbrush, you know, accepting that in those busy morning hours, there's just a little less privacy. And like for some people that would be deal breaking, but for us, what the expense would have been to like have a apartment with a second bathroom would have been an astonishing sum of money. So we've, you know, we've, we've worked it out and it's, Definitely a place where a little bit of minimalism can help you out a a bit. We have tried and successfully to like streamline what we use. So like we have like one shampoo, one conditioner, and one soap that like the whole family uses. And that means that the shower stall feels less crazy with a million products in there. We are working towards just one toothpaste for the whole family. So there's not like three different tubes in the cabinet. Um, so applying that sort of less but better, fewer things mentality to like what you're actually trying to keep in your bathroom can make it feel you know, more spacious and less crazy if you're all sharing one. Absolutely. And if you are someone that is cluttering those small spaces and you are sharing a bathroom, it is going to feel much smaller because you have so much stuff out. So we do some of the same things that you've mentioned. And I know that for me, I, w- I was asked, I think my parents always used to ask me, they're like, how do you live with one bathroom? And it, it just, whatever you get used to is the norm. I, I mean, you can get used to anything. And I just think back to the way that people used to live, the way that people live all over the world. And these things aren't, I don't know. I, maybe it sounds heartless to me. And I guess we are talking about how to make these things better, but I think it's somewhat of a first world problem to be like, Oh, I don't have more than one bathroom. So maybe just gratitude too, is just focusing on what you do have. And again, I'm not saying like only focus on gratitude if this thing is a a problem for you, but change of perspective is a huge thing for me. hundred percent. And you know, my first apartment in New York City that I rented um, with a friend was in Manhattan, the Lower East Side, in an old tenement building. And at the time that I was living in that apartment, which is a similar size to my apartment now, I went to visit the tenement museum and I became acutely aware that the style of building I was in, where there were four apartments for, per floor, originally had one bathroom for all four apartments and that the four those apartment that my roommate and I had would have been a family's home. And it was like, you know, I was 19 years old, mind blown that, you know, four families could have all shared, you know, one water closet at one time. Oh yeah. My dad has stories like that too, with his family members and how much they shared for so many people. So yeah, it is just a shift in perspective, but, and you can also make it work where it's not even a big deal and you don't even think about it. It never occurred to me, even now we have one bathroom and it doesn't, I don't really ever think about it. I'm like, Oh, this is just the way we've lived for 11 years. So it is what it is. All right. So my last or your last one that you have is there's no place to be alone. So what are some solutions for someone if they're feeling like that might be a downside to having a small space. So this is definitely, again, like some people will be more affected by 
this downside than others. And what I have found is that your best bet is to like have a a combination of strategies. Of course, there's first of all, getting out of the house for your alone time. I like to run. That's like some of my alone time every day is running or walking outside by myself. But definitely as a mom in the, and especially in the early years when our son was very young, we would like tag team with the, like who was being on duty as the parent, especially come the weekend. Like I would take my son off on an outing, we'd go get time in the park, at lunch, my husband would just be home and have a few hours to himself in our space. Um, and then he'd do the same for me the next day. So consciously like making sure that both partners have some time when they're at home, when they're not working, <laughs> um, where they can just you know be alone. And even just a couple hours a week, I find can make big difference. Another thing you might do, especially depending on your space is to really try to make certain parts of your home, like a dedicated space for a family member. My son has, is lucky enough to have his own bedroom. So he's, you know, he's got like a place that if he wants to be alone, he can, should my husband or I wish to, like we could, you know, close the sliding doors on our little sleeping alcove and be alone in there, but carving out just like even a small space that is yours can feel like you're having alone time, even if the other family members are at home on the other side of the wall, having some place where you can shut a door and be by yourself is very helpful, I find. I guess this is another thing where nowadays with three kids, I just go out into nature when I want to seek solitude, but there is something about having a room of one's own in your own space. So even just if you're carving out like a chair that is your space, when you have nap time or put the kids to bed, or if, like you said, if your spouse runs out, you can, you can find the spaces to where you can cultivate that alone time. Yeah. And it, you know, it can be something like surprising too. If there is some part of the house that is like more your zone than somebody else's like really claiming it as yours and making it your haven in whatever way that is. If that's like, you know, getting the portable speaker for the kitchen so that when you have your cooking time, you can listen to your favorite music or your podcast and like really maximize that solitude that you might have in that room. That can help too. You know, it's just about what you were saying before about like a little bit of a shift in perspective. But I do think everybody, even like most social butterflies, even the person who like thrives in a big family, like everybody needs a little bit of time when they really are by themselves and quiet. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm wondering when you were interviewing people for your first book, what was someone's main complaint or what did you keep hearing over and over about these people living in small spaces or were there not complaints? You know, I consciously sought out people who had made a choice to live in a small space. Okay. But you could see like in each home, everybody had different things that was like the thing that they were, you could tell was their weak point. Glenn Vaughn, who's a decorator who was featured in the first book, clearly like loved kitchenware, dishes. That was like the thing in his home that like 
you'd be like, oh, like if you had more space, you would have twice as much of this stuff. But he had just said, okay, I'm getting the biggest, most giant bookcase I can squeeze into my kitchen. And I'm just going to proudly display everything that I love because I don't have all the cabinet space for these things he collected. Another homeowner, um, Shavonda Gardner, who's a blogger and a mom of two, her wife uh, is a serious sneaker fanatic. (laughs) And Naomi's sneaker collection was kind of like crazy for people who live in a small space, but they had said, okay, like this is something that's important and had like put the sneakers on shelves on display where they almost became art in the room. So it's like you can make room for what you love. It just might mean figuring out some other things to let go of. I will say my book came out like right in the beginning of the pandemic in April of 2020. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is the worst timing. No one wants to be in a small space. Probably mm-hmm. all of these people are gonna move tomorrow. And it was interesting to talk to all of them in those early days and then since then. And for the most part, everybody, mo- most of those people stayed put and didn't end up moving or leaving the cities that they lived in. People did get creative. I heard about one homeowner, um, her girls had shared a bedroom and she got a home office, but then they decided to switch. So the girls could each have a room and she just worked from the dining table Um There was another couple who actually moved into an even smaller space because they decided they wanted to be closer to the office. So it was interesting to see that the people who had consciously chosen to live small, for the most part, they stuck with it. Um, And that whatever those values were before we had to spend all this time at home, they stayed. And they were also overwhelmingly people felt really happy that they had a home that they could afford, that they didn't have unnecessary additional financial burden of a big home that might've been stressful in a time when a lot of people's work decreased or income decreased um, in the last couple of years. Absolutely. Well, I, like I said, I'm going to link that first episode we did, because I think that'll also give people just some more insight to living small, but where can listeners find you if they want to connect with you online and see more of what you're doing? And don't you have a new book coming out? I do. Uh, my second book, which is called the bunk bed book is coming out on May 1st. And it's a little bit of a detour. It's like 115 um, bunk beds, lofts, other cozy sleeping nooks. And it's really just a delightful compendium of like all these sort of whimsical sleeping spaces. So hopefully people can find that book come May, but I am on Instagram as laura.alice.fenton. They can find The Little Book of Living Small wherever books are sold. And then I also write... um, a monthly column about small spaces for Home 52 called No Space Too Small. And I love whenever people chime in in the comments of those stories with their small space challenges, it often gives me great ideas for future columns. So if, if anyone has like a struggle in their small space that we didn't cover today, they should send me a DM or leave me a comment so I can uh, brainstorm a solution for them. All right, Laura. Well, as we're wrapping things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions I ask. And the first one is, 
What is a resource that's been beneficial to you uh, that you'd like to share with the listeners? And the second one is what is something that you can't stop talking about? So whatever you want to give to us first. Something I can't stop talking about is Heidi Swanson's new cookbook. Um, It's called Supernatural Simple. And I have a few of her other cookbooks and I really love them. But this one is all her amazing whole food vegetarian recipes that are like weeknight friendly. Um, Everything is so simple and, you know, the ingredients are really accessible and they're interesting flavor combinations that I wouldn't think of on my own where um, it really feels like great that I I discovered something new from this book. So Supernatural Simple, it has been um, my favorite cookbook in a long time. And then for a resource, I, last year I read the book, The Future We Choose. And I feel like this is a great resource if anyone is feeling really bummed out about all the bad news about climate and our biodiversity loss and all the sort of rotten things that are going on with our planet. The future we choose is very optimistic without being Pollyanna-ish and really gave me a a new lens to like look at some of these problems, um, both in my everyday life and then big picture and made me feel like good about good change that we could all enact to, you know, make a better world for our kids. So that book was very influential for me in the last year. Great. Well, I'll be sure to put both of those links in the show notes. I looked up Heidi's Instagram and her food looks really amazing. I'm all about simplicity when it comes to the kitchen, not having all these various ingredients. I feel like at some point I'll be into that situation where I can just cook to my heart's desire. But right now I'm like, I just need a few things and call it dinner. Yeah. And like that one or two extra little flourishes that take Mm -hmm. it from like the thing I would have thought of myself to something that like really feels upgrading intentional. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, Laura, thank you again for joining me and I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. What did you think of the episode? I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.